Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Developing and implementing a framework for mental health training and support in a large organisation is essential. It also requires a significant amount of hard work, research, testing and feedback. This week's guest, Tanya Raghaven, is Senior Psychologist with the Queensland Police Service. She has played an integral role in developing the QPS, Mental Health and Wellbeing Literacy Framework, and is currently working to embed training throughout a number of existing operational programs. Amongst 18 years of extensive experience in providing psychological services, Tanya also has extensive experience providing critical incident response services with organisations nationwide. This includes the Queensland Police Service Mental Health and Wellbeing Training Framework, which was developed to provide a structured approach to training to support the mental health and wellbeing of Queensland Police Service members as they progress through their career life cycle. Tune in as Tanya delves into valuable insights into the framework process, including the challenges faced in developing and implementing a framework within a large geographically dispersed organisation. Hello, Tanya, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. And listen, I think a good place to start is to give our listeners a bit of context. What's What's your background? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I started my career as a psychologist um, back in the late 90s in rehabilitation. Um, so I, I worked as, uh, as a rehab consultant back then, assisting people with psychological injuries to return to work. Um, and then I, I guess I moved from there into managing other professionals in that field um, before, I guess, moving into more of a counselling capacity. Wow. So career. you studied in Melbourne mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you, in your first job in rehab, mm-hmm. rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. Cool. How was that experience? Um, look, what I noticed at the time when I worked in rehabilitation was that people um, who were injured psychologically, really um, the uh, experience that they'd had in the workplace, um, I noticed back then, absolutely impacted on their return to work. So even in those early stages of my career, when I first started out, I noticed that that there was a a really close linkage between um, how people were travelling and their workplace. Yeah, and we're talking mid-90s, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so that was back then. Yeah. Um, I mean, the impact that psychological injuries can have on people... You would have seen it firsthand, but it's a major, a major issue. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, certainly. Do you think we're addressing it well at the moment? 
Um, or, or in the time since the the mid nineties, do you do you have you seen us progress? Oh, a- absolutely. You okay. know, so um, it it certainly has progressed somewhat. I think we've still got a long way to go. Um, I mean. Uh, there's been a lot of programs. We're certainly doing training. Um, uh, there's certainly a greater focus on on stigma and that sort of thing that is that is helping people. Seems to be more awareness, doesn't there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But we still have a way to go, obviously. Yes. Uh, so then after rehab, you then went to counselling, you said, you mentioned? Yeah, so I started working in more of a clinical capacity, um, but also in triaging uh, with organisations going through crisis. So that involved um, working with organisations where there'd been a death or um, there'd been armed hold-ups or there'd been a workplace accident or someone was suicidal. Um, and I worked closely with the organisations to triage what sort of support that they would need. So I moved back then into that interface between uh, clinical and organisational. Uh, uh, that's a critical part, isn't it? Because there's there's the incident or the, the people that are mentally um, unwell, but then there's also the support network around them that we also need to factor in too. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, an individual's mental health status is, is really quite complex and we know that, um, you know, it can, uh, you know, certainly their own history can impact on, on an individual's well-being and the outcome um, of, of their mental health status. However, we also know that the organisation and the support that's provided around um, that individual can have a huge impact on their ongoing well-being. Yeah, a positive impact. It can can have a positive impact. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We know that the um, and and I've seen it time and time again, um, where people have been involved in very complex um, situations, and uh, and if they've received the appropriate support from the workplace and from um, from their team, from their managers, then um, that a- actually has a buffering effect. Um, it certainly doesn't take away from the uh, situation or the pain that they've been through, but um, but it can have some ongoing impacts on their on their well-being. Yeah, that's uh, what were the, what were some of the key things or key challenge? What was the, let's start with the challenges. What were mm. some of the key challenges that you faced in that in that role? Mm. Um, look, I, I think the the challenges it, itself uh, themselves were um, getting the support out to people in a timely fashion. So. Okay. What we needed to do was educate uh, the managers themselves to be able to provide that uh, immediate support uh, until, you know, we could perhaps get some professional support out there. So it was that, it was reassuring uh, people essentially, um, providing them some, with some basic psychological first aid uh, skills yes. that they could um, utilise to support their people. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and what were some of the key lessons or lessons or learnings that you took from that experience? Um, Just the importance of the support network. Um, I mean, getting the buy-in as well with some of these uh, organisations. Yeah. Look, I, I think um, having having a holistic um, approach yeah. to supporting yes. uh, individuals. So uh, whether that meant uh, having the EAP counselling service yeah. available as well as the managerial support 
um, linking in with the appropriate communication because often yeah. when, when these types of situations happened, people needed to know information. So yeah. guiding managers about how to inform um, the staff about what was happening in the organisation as well was really important. And uh, so where to after that? So, uh, Yeah, so after that um, I then uh, did a little bit of work. Well, so prior to joining the police force, I did a little bit of work offshore uh, on Manus Island supporting employees wow. um, who were uh, working with asylum seekers. I was actually there uh, during a, a, a very... I guess, um, unsettled period wow. of time and, and was required to support um, staff through, through that. Um, and, oh, I, and I guess um, at that time there were... Uh, so the employees were Australian, um, but they were also the local um, PNG uh, nationals. And so there were uh, a range of challenges in being able to support people through... Um, and unset, you know, so during a riot, yeah. Um, and one of those was uh, around the cultural challenges. I was going to say, I mean, the, the different cultures that you have yeah. to deal with. Yeah, yeah. It's not something you would have been trained for at that point, would no, you? No, know? no. And so, um, you know, I found myself sitting under a tree with a with a group of people um, undertaking psychological first aid, um, whereby I was working with an interpreter who was translating into pigeon. Um, so it wasn't just the language barrier; yeah. it was the it was the cultural um, differences as well. Some of the things that we felt were, you know, would be quite challenging, really weren't challenging. You know, they they were like, well, "Why are you? That's okay. Why are you checking in on us? This is quite okay. Yeah, this wow. Is, this is normal." So I mean, that experience itself would have been extremely interesting. Mm, yeah. Yep. It absolutely was. Yeah. Was it was that challenging in itself, like being there and, and trying to uh, trying to help and support in that nature? Yeah. Look, I, I think it it was, but it it was also a a, a great experience. Yeah. Um, I I mean, definitely it was a challenging time. I was there with another psychologist as well, um, and so we we were in the in the middle of it really, mm. um, uh, but we were able to support one another um, and put a plan together um, to systemically, systematically, I should say, support other people. Yes. Mm. So from that experience, I mean, where did you go to then? Um, so I, I started um, working for the Queensland Police. So I was uh, essentially working for myself as a consultant and the Queensland Police said to me, oh, look, can you come on board and, and fill in for us for a six-week period? Um, and this was back in 2015, but I'm still <laughs> working with the Queensland Police. It's been a, a great uh, journey so far for me, um, and I've undertaken a couple of different roles there. So, yeah. So 2015. So you're back in Brisbane. Mm. You're in Brisbane mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm. and uh, and the role. How's your role changed within the Queensland Police since you came on board? Mm -hmm. So I started off um, working as uh, what was called back then a, a human services officer. So human services officers are uh, allocated to different commands. So they work, um, you know, or, or sections, regions. And so they work with a particular group to support organisational, to support that area organisationally and individually. So I started off by, um, by doing that type of work. 
Um, and then when there was an audit undertaken by the Queensland Audit Office in 2017, I was asked to come offline and work on the uh, overarching training framework for the Queensland Police. That was 2017. Uh, 17, I came offline yep. and, and developed that program in 2018. So uh, so let's talk about your role there with, mm. with that because uh, this is extremely important and I'm, and I'm really keen to hear about mm. this program and how it's going. So tell us about that. Sure. So um, we've developed an overarching uh, training program that looks at supporting the needs of individuals from when they start uh, within the QPS, so whether they're sworn or unsworn, so recruitment or induction. Um, and then it, it's, that's a scaffolded approach that builds uh, upon itself until a person leaves. So um, we know that people have very different experiences um, and needs when they join, uh, first join the QPS, um, as opposed to during their ongoing career. And then when they leave or transition out of the QPS, their needs are different again. So, uh, so what we've done is we've, we've uh, developed a program or an overarching framework that looks at what are the needs of people at different stages of their career um, and how can we tie that into the existing training programs that exist. And when you say the needs, we're talking psychological needs, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, because it wasn't like there was nothing that existed before this. No, you, you, you had a you had sort of a structure, a framework of such that was in place, but you you were looking at it saying, well, hang on, how can we do a better job? Where is it letting us down mm. uh, and our people down, and how can we do better? Is that how it came? Is that how? Yeah. It? So the review found that there were pockets of really good training happening. So there's 26 psychologists across the um, state and there were certainly some really good um, pockets of training. However, what they noticed was that training being undertaken, say, in one area was not always the same as the training being undertaken in another area. So it was ad hoc. Um, and what they also found at that time was that rather than um, having a, a a program where there was a foundational level of skill and then that was stepped and where a stepped approach was adopted um yeah there, there wasn't a plan a specific plan so it, it was ad hoc um and much of the training was not mandatory so did you have to start with the analysis of the existing model that's correct Is that where you started that's correct okay yeah. and let's talk about the important if we break it down let's talk about the importance of um, you know, discussing mental health awareness, education mm -hmm. through the recruitment and induction process. Mm -hmm. Is that that's where it starts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what did you find versus what we're doing now? Is it is is there been some major things that have happened mm. in that area? So the recruitment area was one area that it was certainly happening um, quite well when, okay. when the review was already um, happening. So there there was already an awareness session. Um, the Screening. Yeah, the recruits were being taken um, out uh, to the morgue as part of that, um, you know, initial uh, resilience training. Um, and so, so that, was, that was already in place. Right. Okay. So, so fundamentally, nothing too much has changed between that and what you're doing now? 
No, not okay. not in terms of the recruitment space. Yep. I guess it has been formalised and we've ensured that it's consistent across both academies. Okay. Um, so then, uh, so then we go to the service part. So mm -hmm. people that are that are currently serving as police officers, mm -hmm. tell us between what what you found versus what you're now implementing in that space. So, um, so during the next phases of their career, so during the first year um, constable program and the leadership, there was what we've needed to do was um, implement. A, a more intensive skills-based um, psychological health and fitness package. So okay. what we've done is we've implemented a foundational um, training package and that actually involves lived resilience stories, so um, storytelling from police officers oh, wow. where they talk about, hey, I've, got, I've had these challenges but I've also been able to overcome those challenges. So, um, so we look at, uh, you know, how can I build my re resilience uh, around, you know, my own resilience and how can I look after those around me is that foundational package in the recruit phase. We also get them to, uh, to do a little bit of a journal um, around their own well-being and check in with a, a health uh, professional within the first six months of undertaking that program so that they're able to um, reflect on their, their coping mechanisms. So that's, wow. that's that foundational training in the first year. And, and they're having, um, you're finding that there's been some good success rates and, and it's actually resonating and... Yeah, yep, yep, absolutely. I don't, I don't think that one training package is enough. Yeah. Um, that's my personal view. Uh, I, I'm of the strong belief that anything that we implement, um, any skills, any concepts that are that are introduced, need to be reinforced um, during other um, training or other programs as they progress. Because, I mean, I certainly know myself if if I have if I sit through a training session or um, you know am involved in training then certainly it's, it's helpful um, and I might find it interesting. But what I do with that information going forward, sometimes, you know, yeah. within a couple of months afterwards, I've forgotten about that information. Yes. Mm. I think we're all guilty of, of going to places and learning stuff and then leaving and thinking, oh, that's really cool, and then you don't do anything about it. So, so we're saying that we, there's the initial program, which is really good and, and is doing a great job, but it'd be nice to see a bit more frequency um, or further down the road to have a refresher almost? Yeah, so we have actually um, started to embed the concepts uh, as a building block approach into the leadership training. So there's early leadership training mm -hmm. um, that is, is certainly offered through a lead program. Um, and so, so those co the concepts that have been um, taught in the foundational psychological health and fitness are also then um, revisited in in the early leadership program, and so. But what that does then it takes it one step further. So it looks at people's resilience and their psychological health and fitness for themselves. But then it asks them to reflect on how um, they can then positively impact their direct team members, because in that early um, 
leadership course, they're starting to go into, you know, work their way into a leadership capacity. So yeah. we want them to really to start to think about um, resilience and mental health being not just about um, them and the person next to them, their colleagues, but how can I positively impact those around me and my team members? It's great that you that you're actually you know spending time on the positive you know to to intently take it to positive impacts that you can create rather than just a a reactive. Oh, if someone's feeling like this, to be able to ask, it's like how do you keep that positive culture going? Which sounds like mm. you know, is embedded throughout the framework as mm. well. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's really important that that we do take a multifaceted approach so that it's not just um, looking at uh, if people fall over or become unwell. We're really looking at um, helping people, excuse me, to work at their best, to to be their best and to thrive. And so one of the other cultural programs that um, that we have started to look at embedding and we've trialled it, um, within one of the commands is a team wellbeing pulse check initiative, and that is um, that's a cascading check-in process whereby everybody is responsible for um, for having their finger on the pulse of the wellbeing of other members. So during their service, uh, have there been uh, things that you've been able to identify that you say, okay, we can do a better job at this, mm. um, and and it, what are those things? Mm-hmm. Are there Anything in particular? Yeah, look, I think um, – I know that this is talked about a lot, but I think stigma is yeah. still Big issue. a huge issue. Um, and I think stigma at, you know, the level of people not recognising them in themselves, um, that there is an issue, and also a, a fear uh, of, you know, if I do report um, that I have a mental health concern, you know, what does that mean for my career? Um, And so that's why these cultural, um, you know, programs around supporting well-being um, and having that regular check-in process, I think, is really important for breaking down that stigma. And how important is the role of the leaders uh, in this uh, culture and having providing an environment that's safe and open? Yeah, look, it's it's integral. Um, I think that. Leaders, um, you know, can certainly make people feel safe. And, and um, the, the Team Wellbeing Pulse Check program, what we are certainly aiming to do there is build um, a level of psychological safety for people so, um, so that if they're having the regular um, check-ins with people, if they're investing in the relationship, if they've invested in trust then if they need to have that next level conversation with a person, if, um, if they are distressed, then they've, got, they've invested that time and that energy um, in the relationship and they can actually, they're in a much better position to have that next level um, conversation with them. Yeah, well, that, that's really good that that's, you know, that that's happening and, and it's great to see leaders go first with this and try and create that environment because it's a crucial, obviously. If we, if we look at the transition from, from police officers post-career almost, mm. what's been, has there been any major findings or, or things that you've found or initiatives that, mm. Have, mm. that you find are, are doing some really good stuff or, or some challenges that you're having in that? Yeah, look, I, I think 
we do need to do more in that in that space. Um, what they have been focusing on for that population is a holistic um, look at at people's needs. So they'll get the insurance, um, you know, financial advisors to come along, the dietitians, um, and the psychologist to provide, I guess, a, a more holistic. Um, you know, set of information about for people about what might be helpful for them as they transition out. But I think um, it would be really helpful to have, you know, the peer support program extend into retirement. And I know yeah. that that's, that's certainly been thought about. Um, okay. And uh, There's so much value in that, isn't there? Mm. Peer support network. Yes, yes. Seeing it more and more in, in, in other organisations as well, but uh, I mean the role that peer workers uh, and um, you know even post career that they can help um, and provide that support network is really amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think peer supporters um, are great also for breaking down that stigma. Um, they're that uh, first line of support that that people can access. And, and let's face it, when they're in the workplace with individuals, they're much more likely to notice when their colleagues are struggling. Yeah. Um, and I think if people are not quite ready um, or they're not sure about accessing support uh, when they need to, then uh, they may be more in, uh, able to access a peer supporter uh, or more inclined to do so. The review process that you got, the team undertook you know, to get this framework underway, I mean, was quite extensive. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that and the sort of, uh, from what I was reading, uh, I mean, evidence-based practices approaches, uh, approaches, sorry, specific to first responder work environment. So did you look within the QPS or did you also consult with other yeah, so, as well. yes. so what we did, we started by um, mapping what was already had, what we already had within the organisation. Yes. We looked at um, all of the existing programs. We looked at what, what people were trying to achieve in those programs, the learning objectives. Um, so that gave us a, a really good idea of what we had, um, whether those programs were mandatory, where they were being offered, whether they were across the board. Um, we were then able to go out and uh, through an ANSBAR request and ask other jurisdictions what they were doing. So we asked them the same questions. What programs have you currently got yep. to support your people? What um, learning objectives? Uh, is there an assessment uh, component, um, et cetera? So, so that gave us a really good um, basis for what, what we were doing and what other people were doing in that space. Yeah. Is there much consultation with other states with their services? Is there, is there ongoing stuff yeah, with that as well? Yeah, yep, absolutely. Okay. So we do frequently reach in to other um, police organisations and and they reach in to us um, to share information. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense if someone's got something that's really successful or, or they're having a challenge and they say, hey, how are you guys dealing with this? Yeah, yep. Yep, absolutely, and we've we've uh, certainly found it helpful. We've met with the New Zealand police team. We've met with the Victorian police team, um, the federal police. Um, I've chatted with Queen, uh, Queensland Ambulance, Queensland Fire, 
Um, yeah, and yeah. and and likewise, it's been it's been a two way street. So to mention some of the other uh, you know considerations during this framework that that you guys mm-hmm. went through uh, embedding training mental health throughout regular operational programs, mm-hmm. which is obviously critical. Absolutely critical. Uh, lived experience, mm-hmm. uh, another really key point at yep. trying to get their input um, and uh, using them as a resource throughout the process. Yes, yeah. Uh, enhancing skills, knowledge and confidence to support a cultural change and stigma reduction. Mm-hmm. So looking at that, uh, and this is, keep in mind, like this is an organisation with more than 15,500 people That's correct. throughout Queensland. That's correct. And not all, not all of them are out of head office in Brisbane, right? No. So, so we have major geographical challenges here. Yes. I, I mean, was that is that something that's been, you know, really hard to deal with? Yeah, look, it has. It's been a significant challenge. Um, we've got people for all the way from Thursday Island out, you know, to out yeah. out west, um, and so we've had to make sure that we any training that's provided that we look at a range of different training modalities and ways to do that. We certainly don't have enough psychologists um, to undertake face-to-face training and touch every one of those members. And what we're wanting to do is is touch every member in in some way. Um, And so what we've done is we've developed a a range of different training um, modalities. Um, And uh, so some of those have been online um, training um, products. And we've also done uh, train the trainer uh, programs, so with the education and training officers throughout the state, so that then they are able to then run face-to-face sessions with first-year mm-hmm. um, constables, and then uh, and then we've also looked at embedding uh, some of the key concepts and models into the operational skills training, which is done on an annual basis with every um, sworn member yeah so it, it must have been a challenge and, and st- an ongoing challenge mm-hmm. as well no doubt because yep. C- ultimately you would like to think that the culture at Indrapilly station for example in brisbane is similar supportive uh out at roma out at all these other places thursday island that we have uh you have that positive workplace culture ingrained in the whole organization mm-hmm. which I mean, that's the ideal, right? It's but the ideal. <laughs> but the, the reality is every, you know, culture is different. And yeah. so even within the one organisation, yes. there are different cultures within. Yes. So a major challenge of that is not to change everyone's uh, culture because we know that people, you know, it's all going to be different. But you're saying at least the supportive framework exists um, and is supportive uh, for any employee mm-hmm. within QPS, mm. wherever they are, mm. that's that's right. And um, and I think the use of the storytelling um, has has assisted to break down some of those barriers. So we haven't just utilised people from um, Brisbane or uh, the Gold Coast southeast corner. We've tr- yes. tried to reach out. Um, as far as we so can. So you've got a cross-section of people f- mm. from all places. That's correct. And in different circumstances. So we've used the storytelling, um, for, as I said before, for the lived resilience and lived experience, but also in terms of leadership. So mm. we've relied on um, leaders telling their story about how they've been able to support individuals and the challenges that they've 
based. Yeah. Um, That's a great point. So, so getting stories from people that have helped and overcome mm -hmm. and helped their team mm -hmm. and shared that with other leaders so they can also learn from that. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a great idea. And actually it was the next point that you had there on the key, key considerations with this framework was understanding the role that leadership plays in all this um, and addressing stigma, promoting a mentally healthy workplace um, and supporting individuals through challenges. Uh, the other point that you had there was the evaluation on ongoing review. How are we going with mm. the evaluation and, and this? Are we seeing some real progress? Is it working? Yeah, so um, what we've actually done, uh, well, what we'll be commencing this year is a wellbeing survey. So this will join the Working for Queensland survey um, and it really just focuses on individuals' well wellbeing. Um, so what we're ho hoping to see are some differences in attitudes and wellbeing, early help-seeking behaviour, utilisation. We're still very much in the early phases but... Um, this, the training framework actually links into the broader um, wellbeing strategy and so um, it will be reviewed in accordance with that. So education is one of the levers for change and so it will be reviewed among, you know, the other, um, the, la the broader strategy. With the, uh, you're moving to the implementation of this framework. Yes. What other than geographical challenges mm -hmm. uh, are there any other major challenges that you're seeing that you're or forecasting that you think is going to be a, a bit of an issue um look i think initially it was around um allocating time in operational courses however there's i have noticed a significant shift okay <clears throat> over time in that area um and so the courses are now um seeing the benefit of having mental health uh, programs uh, or the threat of mental health put in in their programs and so um, yeah th I, I think that that has certainly evolved for example in incident command now where we've definitely um, applied psychological first aid and utilizing it in their um, training program but also in the practical exercises that they undertake utilizing the avalanche software um, where they have to drill down into case scenarios, the mental health and wellbeing of the people um, is considered as you know paramount, and so that uh, that's actually played out in the scenarios whereby the incident commanders need to demonstrate a, a capacity con to consider those things. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's really good. Mm. That's happening. Mm. Uh, are there any other major things as you see coming up or if we look to the future, where, where what is the hope um, either with the program or where you see things going with wellbeing within the police force? Um, I, th I think that um, wellbeing, uh, as you, you know, mentioned now, is will really be need, need to be looked at as a more holistic um, approach so not just mental health um, I think we really need to look at well-being as a whole so um, whether that be social um, their people's connections whether that be their physical well-being I, I think that um, having a, a more of an integrated approach to looking after people's well-being and that shared approach so obviously people have a responsibility to look after their own well-being but the organization, um, 
having that shift and viewing, you know, well-being as as a whole, um, as as important, and and how we do that. Yeah. Well, it's it's good to see that there's uh, some very much proactive uh, steps being taken within the Queensland Police Force to um, to improve uh, and uh, and hopefully have better outcomes for for their their team members. What uh, what's in store for you in the future? Are you going to continue to to sort of be a part of this? Is this um, what's Where's yeah. life taking you? Well, I think for the, um, you know, certainly in the short term, I don't have any, um, you know, vision of going anywhere. I'd like to see, I'd like to see this through. See through. Yeah, yeah, I've started this. It's it's kind of been my baby. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right from the development of the framework. So actually seeing these programs now come to fruition and yeah. um, being able to measure uh, their success and tweak them along the way has been really rewarding. Yeah, that's great. If I can just go back to a reflection question, what initially got you into psychology? Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I there was nothing outstanding in my life that I thought, oh wow, you know, I'm you know have a burning um, desire to. to I, I think I fell into it. Um, I certainly always had a a, um, a desire to learn about people um and um and then when I started studying psychology I I really enjoyed it and then um of course when I started working with individuals I knew that um to make a real difference uh and uh, stretch uh, myself as far as I could that I needed to work with organizations as well and I think you know the sweet spot for me is around that interface between uh, individual well-being and and how uh, organisations as a whole can support that. Yeah, wow. It's funny where life takes you sometimes, isn't it? Mm. You least expect it, but mm. you end up. Um, I mean, it's it's great that you're out there. You know, doing. I know you've had eighteen and counting years experience in psychology, and and still plenty to plenty to go. Is it more than that? Maybe it is more than that. Yeah, I mean, so it was mid nineties. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, so my bio must be off. Yeah, it's probably an old one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but either way, you know what? It's great to have people like you out there helping uh, and being a part of the solution mm-hmm. um, and playing a really important role with that. Tanya, is there anything that you want to mention in closing? Anything that uh, that I haven't asked you about that you want to talk about or anything that you want to say? Um, no, I don't. there's nothing else that I can um, think of at this okay. point in time. Uh, well... Uh, it's it's great to see the the initiative that Queensland Police are taking, and it's great to see the framework starting to be rolled out. And very much looking forward to some key updates on how this is progressing uh, and the impact that it's having. So, uh, so we'll have to keep in touch regarding that. But uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for being a wonderful contributor and um, being a guest on the podcast. Okay, thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.